and a very good morning to you. Welcome to the papers for November 1st, 2023. It's a Wednesday morning. It's a chilly one here in Salford. I hope you're well. I hope you had a nice Halloween. Did you? We sat down and watched Tony Collette in the wonderful Hereditary film. Great spooky film about witches and demons. Very good. That's what we did and had one or two pieces of candy. Imagine I said that. Candy. We had one or two celebrations, chocolates, heroes, whatever you want to call them. Now, enough of that. Let's have a look at the front pages of today's papers. The Eye Paper. There's a headline on the front page. UK's old people should accept their fate from COVID. Boris Johnson's private stance revealed. Now, the pages of the front papers today, dominated by the COVID inquiry and revelations yesterday, the I newspaper is focusing on diary entries for the UK's former chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance, in which he wrote that Johnson, the former PM, allegedly thought that old people should accept their fate. And this sent Twitter into meltdown yesterday with liberal types and commentators getting their knickers well twisted up about how the bastard Johnson hates old people and condemned them to die back in 2020. That's the I newspaper. Front page of the Times. Johnson let elderly accept fate. Again, former PM claimed COVID was nature's way of dealing with the elderly. (laughs) You can imagine how this has gone down. Also on the front page of the Times, Starmer threatens shadow ministers who call for Gaza ceasefire. It's alleged that around about 14 or 20, depending on who you believe, shadow ministers, important people in Keir Starmer's government in waiting, are really annoyed with Starmer for not calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. It's also alleged that hundreds of Labour councillors up and down the country, many of them British Muslims, are properly cheesed off that Starmer won't come out and condemn what is going on in Gaza, which, of course, is a genocide. That was The Times. The Daily Express headline revealed orgy of narcissism at heart of COVID failings. The Express focusing on the inquiry again. Johnson described um, the chaos at the heart of Downing Street as an orgy of narcissism. That is a quote being attributed to Johnson himself. It is very funny. Bad language warning. Bad language warning in case you're listening to this podcast in a car and you've got a child listening. Bad language. But it was absolutely vaudevillian yesterday to see Dominic Cummings, the former chief advisor to Boris Johnson, being interrogated by Hugo Keith Casey at the inquiry. And Keith, in his lawyerly, scholarly voice, in his um, delivery, asking him about describing people as fuck pigs. Cummings in WhatsApp messages referred to people as fuck pigs and referred to Matt Hancock as a cunt, didn't he? And other choice language as well. End of bad language warning. You can turn the sound back up now. I don't know why I'm saying that. A Daily Mail. Now Cummings feels the heat is the large headline. There, it it says, the mail says that Cummings was left squirming after his explosive and expletive riddled riddled even messages were read out, which I won't read out again. Gasps were heard in the room 
as one message was read out in which Cummins used a vile Cummings used a vile four-letter word to describe Matt Hancock. That's right. The four-letter word ending UNT, the Daily Telegraph, Cummings fed toxic misogynist culture in number 10. That's the spin put on all of this by the Daily Telegraph. It focuses on his role in Downing Street during the pandemic and says that his testimony at the inquiry shows he was deeply frustrated by Boris Johnson. Cummings denied ever adding to the toxic atmosphere in government, says The Telegraph, but it has a number of columnists today, as The Telegraph does, writing, well, basically saying the opposite, that Cummings is a horrible, toxic, very difficult to work with, misogynistic old bastard. As The Daily Mirror again goes with the claim that Boris Johnson was happy to throw older people and the more vulnerable to viruses under a bus in 2020. As the headline reads, Boris, the old should accept their fate. You should accept your fate now. And um, and just go away and die. The Daily Star. Britain, an apology. The Star uses its front page for an editorial today. It says... On the front page, the Daily Star may have given the impression over the past few years that Boris Johnson and co. were useless, moronic, inept, pointless and pathetic clowns who were all out for themselves. It turns out they're much, 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 much worse than that. We are happy to set the record straight. That's the front page of the Daily Star. And yes, they did use the term much, 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 much worse than that. We said they were clowns, they were much worse. And the Financial Times goes with OD Asset Management to close five months after women accuse founder. And the Metro goes with rail ticket Q-turn. Rail ticket Q-turn. As the Metro says, the it's delighted with the government's last-minute decision to scrap plans to close hundreds of rail ticket offices in England. As the paper says, the U-turn is a victory for campaigners, for the elderly and the disabled. And finally, the Guardian has a horrible photograph on the front page. It is of destruction on an absolutely unimaginable scale. In Gaza, graveyard for children, airstrikes kill dozens at Gaza refugee camp. And they've doubled down today, not just The Guardian, but other left-leaning newspapers publishing claims by the the UNICEF organisation and Save the Children is that nearly 4,000 children have been killed in Gaza since October 7th. And absolutely bloody finally, <coughs> the sun goes with this. How dare you? And this is a story about um, police officers in London and in Manchester where footage showed them taking down posters of Israeli children held hostage by Hamas. Why would the police do that? I don't understand it. It's wrong, isn't it? It's outrageous. If somebody puts the poster up with a picture of a kid who is being held hostage, that um, whatever you might think of what's gone on in Gaza, what's gone on in Israel, whatever you might think of what has been going on historically in the region, it is outrageous that anybody, let alone a police officer, would remove posters of Israeli children held hostage by Hamas. A number of the broadcast media, um, legacy broadcast media stations, are making much of that story this morning. This is The Papers with me, Richie Allen, a relatively new daily podcast where I'll be looking through the newspapers 
It is an online programme only, online only. All righty. Let's have a look then inside the papers. What have I found for you? Well, I found some very interesting things, so I have some interesting things. So we'll, 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 we'll start with the Times, inside the Times. Listen to this now. Millions of patients given access to GP records under new rules. That's the headline. Millions of patients will be handed the power to view their own medical records and test results online after the NHS overruled opposition from the doctors' union. From November 1st, which is today, every GP surgery in England will be contractually obliged to give all patients over the age of 16 access to their health information on their phones. It means patients will no longer have to ring up their surgery or book a GP appointment to get details of blood test results, medications and repeat prescriptions. Instead, they can access them by logging into the NHS app, which will store doctor's notes from previous appointments and be automatically updated as new information such as test results arrive. Six in ten GP surgeries, around 4,000, have already adopted the scheme and the rest will have to roll it out today, Wednesday, because it is now a contractual requirement. Now, dear listener, the British Medical Association, or BMA, had previously threatened to go to court over this and try to stop it. The BMA said that granting people access to their records would add to GP workloads and could put patients at risk. It also said that, you know, sensitive information and sensitive data um, about patients, about individuals, could also be compromised because of this. Now, Dr. Vin Divakar is the National Director for Transformation at NHS England. Uh, Vin Divakar, he says, the NHS understands that people lead busy lives, so it is essential that the health service continues to adapt and innovate to make sure that access to GP services is as convenient as possible. He went on to say, through the NHS app, Patients will be able to view their prospective test results and therefore better understand their own health as well as order repeat prescriptions and book appointments without needing to contact their local surgery. And he went on to say this will help free up GP's time. So on the face of it, dear listener, this looks like a good thing. You download an app and you get to see your records, the notes held by the NHS about you and you get repeat prescriptions, and you don't have to ring up and wait on the phone to get blood test results. It all sounds bloody well good, doesn't it? But I don't like it, and I'll tell you why. What was happening during 2020, late 2020, and all through 2021? Well, the government and the NHS was only trying to persuade each and every one of us to download an NHS app so that we could be tracked and traced and told that we need to stay home and avoid contacting others if we were to be uh, sneezing or, or coughing or if we felt, felt even we had a temperature. It was also going to be used to store the results of tests, PCR tests that they were giving to people in the post during that particular period. So I would, I would put this forward as a possibility. While this sounds great, and even to me, you know, I occasionally have a blood test and I occasionally 
recently I had a, a lung scan. Yeah, great. I just whip out my old phone and I go to the NHS app and I get those results. I have a feeling there's something a little bit more tricky going on here. And that this this innovation is not really about patient convenience because I don't think it ever is. I think it's about the future they are creating. A future where we'll be, we will be offered all manner of medications, preventative medications and vaccines, mRNA jabs, to avoid burdening the NHS. Have an obesity jab. Well, I don't think I need one because I get out and I go for a run. I'm pretty active. I have dogs. Well, well, you're not a good citizen kind of a thing. And that's where I see this going. And I do agree with the doctors that it does put patients at risk. It exposes them. Their information, their personal information is now exposed. It's out, it's out there in the cybersphere. What an interesting story that is in the Times. Millions of people given access to GP records. It sounds so transparent, so wonderful. Maybe it isn't. Let's look at The Guardian. Cigarette-style climate warnings on food could cut meat consumption, study suggests. Well, Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph. Cigarette-style climate warnings on food could cut meat. Now, the let's read the first couple of paragraphs. People are used to seeing stark warnings on tobacco products. Not me, dear listener. I've never smoked. Never. Not a drag. Never even tried it. I'm proud of it. Anyway, so people are used to seeing these stark warnings, alerting them about the potentially deadly risks to health from tobacco consumption. Now, a study suggests similar labelling on food could help them make wiser choices about not just their health, but the health of the planet. Again, Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph. We, we've seen this coming, haven't we, dearest uh, friend of mine? The research by academics at Durham University found that warning labels, including a graphic image similar to those warning of impotence, heart disease or lung cancer on cigarette packets, could reduce selections of meals containing meat by 7 to 10%. What sort of images? What sort of images, images might they place on meat products to dissuade you and me from buying them so that we can do our bit to save the planet. The article continues in The Guardian. It is a change that could have a material impact on the future of the planet. According to a recent YouGov poll, 72% of the UK population classified themselves as meat eaters. But the Climate Change Committee, CCC, which advises the government on its net zero goals, has said the UK needs to slash its meat consumption by 20% by 2030 and 50% by 2050 in order to meet them. Your net zero goals will not be achieved unless you reduce meat consumption by half in time for 2050. They are going to revise those recommendations. So, believe me, we know this because every couple of weeks, as I discussed on the monologue, during the monologue on last night's Richie Allen show, every couple of weeks a new report emerges claiming that we need to get there sooner. The rate of acceleration of climate change is quicker than we previously thought. So don't believe this 2050 shite. It'll be 2035 before too long, in my opinion. So let's put some warnings on meat products saying... Like, like we do on tobacco, that eating this meat might kill the planet. Or reduce your meat consumption in order to prevent killing the planet. Terrible stuff, isn't it? Let's go to the Telegraph. Here's an interesting story, and it's about acupuncture. The two-minute treatment that could cure your phobia of spiders. 
That's the headline. Do you have a fear of spiders? I kind of do. It isn't terror. It doesn't result in me breaking out in a cold sweat and losing my losing my bodily function, losing <laughs> the ability um, to to function. No, no, I don't become dysfunctional, but I'm not thrilled about spiders. I have no idea why. For those who have a fear of spiders, Halloween probably isn't the most relaxing time to be out and about, but facing arachnoids everywhere you turn may just be the nudge you need to face your anxiety. And the Telegraph article deals with anecdotal and scientific evidence that an easy-to-master set of actions known as emotional freedom technique, EFT, or tapping, can release the emotional intensity and anxiety associated with common phobias. Celebrity aficionados include Prince Harry, who credited tapping therapy for helping him process the trauma of his mother's death, and Lady Gaga, who reportedly tried to manage the symptoms of fibromyalgia, a condition which causes chronic pain across the body. So there have been three randomised controlled, uh, controlled trials conducted on EFT, with EFT, and it has shown benefits for specific phobias such as fear of spiders, fall a- small animals even, and heights. And it goes on the article to explain what tapping as a therapy is. It's taken from acupuncture, um, which stems from traditional Chinese medicine. Acupuncture is also used to treat anxiety and pain, involves inserting needles into various pressure points around the body. And the article quotes a woman called Peter Stapleton, an associate professor at Bond University in Australia, a registered health psychologist who is interested in this. She believes the core concept of acupuncture is that there are various electrically sensitive points on the skin, the ends of pathways in the body known as meridian, along which energy flows. And she claims that by applying pressure to those points, it is possible to induce changes in brain regions associated with fear and with pain, something I'm very interested in. Let's stay with The Telegraph for two more stories. Here's another one. Headline, Nigel Farage helps get new word into the dictionary. The term debanking has been listed as one of HarperCollins' English Dictionary's Words of the Year after a cancel culture within the UK banking industry was exposed by The Telegraph. This is about Coates closing the bank account of Farage, the former UKIP leader turned GB News presenter. They said his public persona was at odds with Coates' position as an inclusive organisation. There was an outcry over this. Farage made great you know, got great mileage out of it, as did the conservative media. And as a result of this, um, debanking, no hyphen, D-E-B-A-N-K-I-N-G, um, has become a part of the English lexicon with its own dictionary entry. The new entry in the Collins English Dictionary will read, debanking, noun, the act of depriving a person of banking facilities. Yes. Staying with the Telegraph, because it's uh, decent today, Bud Light Brewer to make $1 billion payout in wake of trans backlash. This is properly vaudeville, this. The owner of Budweiser and Corona is to hand investors a billion dollars in a bid to restore confidence after a trans backlash 
against the company. Now, Bud Light is owned by AB InBev, one of the world's biggest brewers. It has promised investors it will give them cash back through a share buyback, the first in its history because of a 13.5% slump in US shares. This is basically the corporation going to its investors and saying, we're sorry, we are a bunch of fucking idiots. We really are. We're really sorry. And this is all about the boycott of Bud Light after it announced a partnership with the trans man or man, it's the man in the dress, Dylan Mulvaney. Earlier in the year, Bud Light sent Mulvaney a personalised can of the beer to celebrate his first year of transitioning gender. You're supposed to refer to Dylan Mulvaney as horror, but there's no fucking way I'm doing it because he's a bloke, right? This is crazy marketing. Stupid. Somebody must have known this would end in tears. According to The Telegraph, the promotional stunt with Mulvaney sparked anger and boycotts from conservatives in the US who accused the brewer of pursuing a left-wing agenda. Prominent conservatives took to social media to criticise the move, including Kid Rock. Remember that? He shot up a pack of Bud Light beer with an assault rifle. Little bit little bit much that, but anyway. Sales, of, sales even of the beer have fallen sharply in the US as a result, and AB InBev's share price has fallen by almost 10%. So they've gone to their investors and said, we're really, really, really sorry. It's hilarious. It really is. When I think back to it, um, all of that, the thing that makes me laugh when I think back was, remember the mayor, Dean Sawyer, the mayor of Newport in Oregon, he made me laugh because uh, he had to resign as mayor because he was so annoyed by this, he began to refer to Bud Light as tranny fluid. <laughs> remember re- remember that? <laughs> tranny fluid, I love it. You can imagine Mayor Dean in Oregon at a few drinks after work. Here's your beer, Mayor. Mr. Mayor, this is Mr. Mayor bullshit annoys me. Here's your beer, Mr. Mayor. What is it, Bud? Coors? No. No, it's it's Bud Light. Take that fucking tranny fluid. Get it out of my face. Tranny fluid, yeah. Yeah, one of the most ridiculous marketing strategies of all time. Let's go to the Mail Online then. Headline, could your phone be making you infertile? Alarming study on plunging sperm counts sparks warning for men to be conscious of using their mobile too much. Men who use their mobile phone frequently suffer 21% lower sperm concentration, according to a new study. The quality of a man's semen is determined by factors like sperm concentration, total sperm count, how well the sperm swims, and the size and shape of the sperm. Many studies have shown that semen quality has decreased over the last 50 years, with sperm counts dropping from an average of 99 million sperm per milliliter to 47 million. Very interesting, that. Very interesting. We've known about this for many, many years, of course, in the independent or alternative media, is that sperm counts are dropping. This is something to do with depopulation. I think you and I would probably agree. Anyway, I've got to go now and produce the Richie Allen radio show, which will be live this afternoon at 5 o'clock UK time. Thank you for spending some of your morning with me. You have been listening to The Papers for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. Until next time, it's adios from me. (laughs) 